thank you Lord for who you are not only are you our personal Savior Lord you've come into our lives you live within us you inhabit us Lord we are a temple for your Holy Spirit for the Spirit of Christ but Lord you are also an almighty God a king the king of this universe Lord you know all things Lord you're you're completely able and Lord, we thank you for everything that you are. We can't even comprehend all that you are. But Lord, right now, knowing that we're coming to the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords and the Savior of our souls and the Savior of, of millions, if not billions, around this world, Lord, we pray. Lord, today I pray for the persecuted church. Lord, I pray for the, the churches in China that are being shut down. Lord, the, 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 the members are being arrested. Lord, there's, there's so much persecution in so many lands, Lord. In, in, in Muslim countries, Lord, they're restricted. Places in Asia as well. Lord, in North Africa, Father, we, God, we just pray for a new liberty, a new freedom for your church around this world. God, that you would, Lord, that you would tear down those strongholds of the enemy. Lord, that your people in these nations would receive a new freedom. Lord, help us to be mindful that we're not the only church. Lord, help us to be aware that we have brothers and sisters around the world in North Korea who need, they need to be set free. And I know, Lord, that your word says that he whom the Son sets free is free indeed. And they are free, completely free in their hearts. But, Lord, I pray that there be a new freedom all around this world. And, Lord, I pray for, a, for an incredible freedom in our nation. Lord, where your church will be unleashed to share the gospel with a new boldness, with a new freedom, not, not fearing rejection, Lord, with no reluctance at all. Lord, I pray, God, for a spiritual release in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I'm not used to doing these preliminaries and getting things announced and all that, so Pastor Hans is on a staycation, I guess, somewhere. So uh, I'm doing all the preliminaries, um, which right now I'm supposed to welcome, I'm reading here, welcome all the guests. If you're a first-time guest, we'd like you to take this little card that's in the seat back in front of you, fill it out at the end of service, go to the information desk, and we have a bag of things to give you. We'd like you to take home. I think you'll enjoy. Uh, but go ahead and fill that out and turn that in. And also right now, we're going to honor the Lord with our giving. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you, Lord, for this opportunity to truly worship you, not just with our lips, with our voices, but to worship you from our hearts. And Lord, I pray, God, that as we do so, that you'd bless each gift and each giver in Jesus' name. Amen.
All right, I've got a few things to share with you. As many of you know, uh, yesterday was the Rocky Challenge. Pastor Hans took the uh, youth up to Philadelphia to go up and down those stairs of the museum, and they've raised over $8,000 preliminarily. Now, just a reminder, uh, if you gave a pledge to one of our young people, please fulfill that, and young person, go hunt them down, okay? Um, get those funds into Pastor Hans. They are for Speed the Light. They're for missions, and we really appreciate your, your help with that. Uh, we have a video that Pastor Hans would like to show. Hey, everybody. Good morning. Say good morning, everybody. Good morning. Hey, we just want to say thank you, Praise Assembly, for all those that have sponsored us. We're about to do the Rocky Challenge, and uh, we're just excited about the day. It's a beautiful day in Philadelphia. Here it is. Those are the steps. We're going up. And again, thank you so much for all your support. God bless you guys. Hey, this is for uh, Charlie Allen. Yeah. I did a thousand eight. Booyah! Your granddaughter witnessed it. Oh, yeah. Later. <laughs> it took him a while, but he did it. So, anyways, also, I want to share with you a photo. A uh, week ago or so, I was supposed to go to Tanzania to be part of the dedication of a uh, seminary building that we built, that we helped. Uh, build. It was over a million and a half dollars, and we gave a, a good chunk of that. And that is an actual photo. It almost looks like a drawing, but they do have these crazy windows with a blue, you know, reflection. And so that was dedicated August 12th, just uh, just over a week ago. And want to show you what we can do. And as you know, we've been working. Our, our own men have gone to uh, Poland not long ago uh, to help renovate a facility for Ukrainian refugees. Uh, which, by the way, I want to just share this little story with you. It's, I, it's, it's trivial in a sense, but it reminded me of how easy it can be for us to witness to others, to give a testimony, to share Jesus. Uh, I was right over here on uh, 896 at the Shell Station a couple weeks ago. And uh, as some of you know, I'm uh, the development director for the Vietnam Bible College for Global University. And that day I wore a T-shirt that had... Global University, Vietnam Bible College on the front of it. I pulled up to get gas and there was a car in front of me and there was a younger guy and an older gentleman and they were just going back and forth standing there by the pump. And so, I mean, you know, so I'm just watching and, and I guess what really got my interest was the license tag said Massachusetts. And being from Massachusetts, I couldn't wait to finish pumping my car, filling it up, going over and say, where are you from in Massachusetts? But then I'm also wondering why they're not pumping gas. I mean, this is, this is going on a while. And so uh, I filled up and I thought, nah, this is really too strange. Maybe I'll just drive away, <laughs> you know, forget where they're from in Massachusetts. And so I, I really did feel compelled. I, I kind of backed up and I began to leave and I stopped. And I went over and I said, um, you know, you guys having a problem here. I said, are, are you, first off, I said, are you from Massachusetts? And are you, where are you from Massachusetts? And he said, no. And it was kind of in broken English. The younger fellow said, I'm from Poland. And what they didn't realize, there was a plastic bag over the pump handle, which means doesn't work here in America. Um, and so they, they, could, they couldn't figure it out. And so I told them, just back up your car. And I showed them how to use the credit card in the thing and got them all set up. Um, but apparently they had landed at JFK that day, drove down to Delaware to get gas. It was a young man who knew some English, his father who knew none, and he was taking his father on a tour of the United States. I mean, they're going from New York City to Delaware to Chicago to California and back. <clears throat> Awful lot of driving. But uh, as we were talking, he saw university as it turns out, he, the young man, was a law professor at a university in Warsaw. And I said, well, you know, we just sent a group of men over there to Katowice. He knew his face lit up and told him what we were doing. And he found out that we were Pentecostal, told him about the church. He gave me his business card. Uh, I actually emailed him. He emailed me back. So you never know what seed you can plant that quick. And it's, and it's not, you know, it's not the kind of T-shirt. I wouldn't wear it here to church, you know, on a Sunday. Uh, but I wore it that day, and I don't think, if it hadn't said university, he wouldn't have felt some affinity, but he, he knew I had something to do with the university. Uh, so, hey, look for those moments, and uh, when I get to the end of this message today, you'll know that you really need to look, 
for those moments. Anyways, back to announcements. Um, there are a couple of things you need to know, and I'm going to try to do these chronologically. First off, there is a ranger leader meeting immediately after church in room 103. Lunch is provided. Most of, you, most of our leaders know this. Uh, they're used to that every August, so make sure you're there right after church today. And then Wednesday, there's no Bible study for the adults, but there is a Royal Ranger Award Ceremony on Wednesday. And then on Friday night, at 7 o'clock, uh, Dwight and Heather have opened their home to the young adults. There's a pool party, uh, so make sure you know about that. All right, listen, we're in Ephesians chapter 3. Uh, as you know, I wasn't here last Sunday, so we've skipped, we've skipped one week, but not skipping a chapter of Ephesians. And I want us to begin by reading chapter 3, Ephesians chapter 3. Verse 1 says, For this reason I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus, for the sake of you Gentiles, Surely you have heard about the administration of God's grace that was given to me for you. That is the mystery made known to me by revelation, as I've already written briefly. In reading this, then, you'll be able to understand my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to men in other generations, as it has now been revealed by the Spirit to God's holy apostles and prophets. This mystery is that through the gospel, the Gentiles are heirs together with Israel, members together of one body, and sharers together in the promise of Christ Jesus. I became a servant of this gospel by the gift of God's grace given me through the working of his power. Although I am less than the least of all God's people, this grace was given me to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ, and to make plain to everyone the administration of this mystery, which for ages past was kept hidden in God, who created all things. His intent was that now, through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms, according to his eternal purpose, which he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. In him and through faith in him, we may approach God with freedom and confidence, I ask you, therefore, not to be discouraged because of my sufferings for you, which are your glory. For this reason, I kneel before the Father, from whom his whole family in heaven and on earth derives its name. I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power, together with all the saints, to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ, and to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. Father God, I pray, Lord, that you would... Lord, just enliven our spirits, enliven our souls this morning. God, that our hearts and minds would be focused on you and your word, that your Holy Spirit would truly speak to us today. Lord, that we would hear your voice, not the voice of a preacher, but that we'd hear your voice, especially through the scriptures, the passages that will be shared today. We ask for your anointing in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, I want you to notice once again how this passage, this chapter began. Very similar to chapter 1. And if you remember a couple weeks ago, it was two, three weeks ago, when we looked at chapter 1 and Paul opened with this phrase of being a prisoner of the Lord Jesus Christ, it, it, it is meant to be a greeting. That's how a, a letter would be started. I, Paul, not necessarily including the idea of being a prisoner, but that was important to Paul and we had talked about it three weeks ago. Um, but here again in this chapter, and this is not the opening of this letter, Paul reminds the Ephesians that he is a prisoner of Jesus Christ. And because of that, I want you to be aware of a couple things this morning. The first thing that I want you to know is that Paul is, in fact, as he writes this chapter, he is, in fact, right now at that moment, he is a prisoner in the Mamertine prison in Rome when he writes this letter to the Ephesians. He is physically, he's in prison. Secondly, and more significant, much more important than this, much more important than his physical bonds, we need to understand that Paul is again expressing to us in this verse the value of being a prisoner of the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, he, he's not just speaking about temporal reality. He's not speaking just about his immediate uh, situation and predicament. He is also wanting to, to reaffirm, he wants to make us aware of a spiritual reality. 
And, and, and I might also suggest to you that he's, he's boasting of and he's encouraging this kind of arra- arrangement. He's not ashamed of it. He, he thinks it's a good thing. He believes it's a good thing to be a prisoner to the Lord Jesus Christ. He's recommending a relationship to the Ephesians and to us today whereby Jesus Christ is Lord and you and I are in full subjection and in full servitude to him. That's the way it's supposed to be. You see, Paul knows, he understands that complete freedom comes not from being your own master. That is a carnal, that's a carnal way of thinking. True freedom is not expressed by our ability to do what we want, when we want, how we want, and as often as we want. I know, again, that we equate that with freedom, but that's not where it's at. Rather, Paul is teaching that we achieve true freedom when we surrender everything to Christ. Amen? Jesus said, he whom the Son sets free is free indeed. And the truth shall set you free. Of course, Jesus is called the truth. And so genuine freedom for you and I, right now, today, tomorrow, the next day, is best realized when we chain ourselves to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. Freedom is never found in the unbridled will of man. And I, and I say that because I know, again, the carnal nature is too easily drawn towards everything else that can so easily bind us. Now, I also want you to know that there are two Greek words that can be translated as prisoner in the New Testament. One word denotes someone who's been taken captive by an enemy, much like a prisoner of war. And that's the word that Paul used when he encouraged the Corinthians to take every thought captive. We're to take every thought captive, he taught. And that is part of the process of demolishing the strongholds of Satan. He literally instructs us in that that chapter in, in Corinthians, he instructs us to make every worldly, every satanic thought and machination a prisoner to Christ, to give them no freedom. But the word that Paul uses here in today's passage is different. There's no conflict. There's no war involved. The word that's used here in Ephesians 3.1 relates to anyone, anyone who is in shackles for any purpose. Anyone is fettered by chains. And of course, in Paul's case, he is literally shackled in a literal prison. But more importantly, he's also shackled to Jesus Christ. He is describing for us a high level of commitment to Christ. No compromise, no holding back but giving everything that we are to Jesus. Now, I don't know how many of you remember the, uh, the short-lived conversion of singer-songwriter Bob Dylan. Remember that? Came out with a couple albums. Came out with them very quickly. And I got to tell you something. They were, they're prob- among Christian albums, they're probably the most theologically sound that you'd find from almost any group out there today even. But one of the, one of the songs that he wrote was entitled, You Gotta Serve Somebody. And he makes it clear in that song that no matter who you are, you are going to serve somebody. Doesn't, I don't care who you are. And he, he states that. You are going to serve somebody, and it's either going to be the devil or the Lord. Now, if, even if you think you're serving another human, or you think you're serving your own interests, that's really serving the devil. He says, you've got to serve somebody. Only two choices. Now, that wasn't Bob Dylan's original thought. Okay, I want to back this up, okay, with some scripture because it comes from the sixth chapter of the book of Romans. And in that chapter, Paul elaborates on the need for us to become as slaves, to become as servants, even prisoners of the Lord Jesus Christ. I want us to look at this. Romans 6, beginning in verse 5. If you have been united with him like this in his death, we will certainly also be united with him in his resurrection. For we know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin because anyone who's died has been freed from sin. Now, if we died with Christ, we believe that we also will live with him. For we know that since Christ was raised from the dead, he cannot die again. Death no longer has mastery over him. The death he died, he died to sin once for all, but the life he lives, he lives to God. In the same way, instructing us now, in the same way, count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its evil desires. Do not offer the parts of your body to sin as instruments of wickedness, 
but rather offer yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and offer the parts of your body to him as instruments of righteousness. For sin shall not be your master because you're not under the law, but under grace. What then? Shall we sin because we're not under law but under grace? By no means. Absolutely not. Don't you know that when you offer yourselves to someone to obey him as slaves, you're slaves to the one whom you obey? Whether you're slaves to sin, which leads to death, or to obedience, which leads to righteousness. But thanks be to God that though you used to be slaves to sin, you wholeheartedly obeyed the form of teaching to which you were entrusted. You have been set free from sin and have become slaves to righteousness. Paul says, I put this in human terms because you are weak in your natural selves. Just as you used to offer the parts of your body in slavery to impurity and to ever-increasing wickedness, so now offer them in slavery to righteousness leading to holiness. When you are slaves to sin, you are free from the control of righteousness. What benefit did you reap at that time from the things you are now ashamed of? Those things result in death. But now that you've been set free from sin and become slaves to God, the benefit you reap leads to holiness and the result is eternal life for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. So he states right there that we become slaves to whomever we choose to obey. If we're going to follow the carnal nature, the natural way of man, if we're going to follow the temptations and and leadings of the enemy, Satan, if we're going to offer the, the, the... the instruments of our body to sin, then, then that's, that's one choice. But that's the wrong choice. We are to offer our, the members of our body the, the instruments, as instruments of righteousness. It's impossible to serve two masters. See the difference between freedom to sin and the freedom to live for Christ. The Christian life is always an either-or situation. I've said this, I used to say it repeatedly years ago, but there is no neutral ground for a Christian. I mean, you're either all one or you're all the other way. There's no neutral ground. There's no room for compromise. Jesus said this in Luke eleven twenty three: 23. He who is not with me is against me. Just two choices. He who is not with me is against me. It's not that you're just not with him. You're actually against him. If you're not working for him, then you're working against him. Then he says, whoever does not gather with me scatters. And he didn't say, whoever doesn't gather with me doesn't gather. He says, you're actually working against me. Again, he's saying it a different way. You're actually scattering. You're not just not gathering, you're scattering. And so clearly we have to be either for him or against him. And you know, I marvel at the carnal human mind. It forever amazed me how people tend to think, especially of religion or Christianity, as too narrow, as too limiting, People so often assume that Christianity is confining and it's restricting. And, and yet, you know, the truth is, it's, and you know this as a Christian, it's really liberating. It's really liberating. Again, he whom the Son sets free is free indeed. Is free indeed. I mean, think of any person you know who might be struggling with an addiction, a life-controlling problem. You know what? They will try to convince you that they're not, they're not bound by anything. That, you know, I can, I can handle this. I can overcome this. If I, if I really wanted to, I could overcome it in, in no time at all. And yet, you know, we all know that in truth, they are a captive. They are a prisoner to that addiction. The pleasure that they claim to actually enjoy has control over them. What they're doing has control over them. They're captives. They're prisoners. And I want to make this clear today. The key to really being free is to chain ourselves to Christ. And once we're chained to him, it won't be us leading him around. We won't be dragging him into every dalliance of ours, but rather it's going to be him taking the lead because he's our master. There's an interesting little verse, 2 Corinthians 2.14. And it says this, But thanks be to God, who always leads us in triumphal procession in Christ and through us spreads everywhere the fragrance of the knowledge of him. Now, in the past, whenever you've read that verse in the past, you probably imagined being part of a triumphal procession where you and I, as Christians, as members of the family of God, having known Christ, 
are on parade as heroes. And listen carefully, okay? In other words, I've always looked at that verse where there's this procession being led, led by Jesus and we are behind him as the victorious followers. That's what it seems like it's saying, that Christ is leading us in our victory. And you know what? That perception is wrong. A little difficult for us to fully understand because we don't have, we may not understand the cultural context for this passage, but if we could go back 2,000 years, what Paul is really saying here, what he's trying to describe to us here, he's, he's, he's describing for us a Roman general returning home after weeks and months of fighting. He's marching his garrison into and through the city gates. Now, again, we imagine ourselves as being the victorious garrison that's following him. But what Paul's actually telling us is that we are prisoners who are chained to the chariot of the Roman general. Because that's actually what was happening. When he talks about this triumphal procession, the general is entering the city. He's going down the streets, maybe the main corridors of Rome. And his prisoners, the prisoners are chained to his chariot and then they're chained to one another in procession. It's a triumphal procession for the Roman general. And we aren't, we aren't part of that garrison. We're part of the prisoners who are all chained to that chariot. Can you see the difference? We weren't the ones out there fighting with him. Rather, we have been taken captive and he is leading us. And that's the picture that Paul is, is painting here. Yet, although we are chained to his chariot, we don't find imprisonment in that. Rather, we do find genuine freedom and true victory. As I've told you, as Paul started this chapter, real, real freedom is found in being chained to the master. We need to be chained to the chariot to be really, truly free. We have to resist the lie that tries to convince us that we can be free in ourselves. The truth is that no, there's no freedom in a self-guided life. There's no freedom at all. If we are not under the lordship of Christ, then we're subject to the prince of this world, Satan himself. You have to serve somebody, either the devil or the Lord. Listen to how Hebrews describes where we used to be, how we once were subject to the devil. Because again, one of the things about Ephesians, Paul did it in chapter 1 and in chapter 2. He reminds us of where we've come from. And you know, folks, sometimes we forget. We forget what life was like without him. My conversion was dramatic. It was dramatic. It was incredible. I mean, it was literally walking from, from nighttime into day. I mean, to see things as they really are for the first time. It's shocking. But listen to what, what is written in the book of Hebrews, Hebrews 2.14. It says, since the children have flesh and blood, he too, Jesus, shared in their humanity so that by his death he might destroy him who holds the power of death, that is the devil. And free those, he did this in order to free those who all their lives were held in slavery by their fear of death. For surely it's not angels that he helps, but Abraham's descendants. For this reason, he had to be made like his brothers in every way in order that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in service to God and that he might make atonement for the sins of the people. Because he himself suffered when he was tempted, he's able to help those who are being tempted. You see, Jesus Christ has set us free from our former bondage. As a Christian, we are no longer under the dominion and the authority of Satan. Now, uh, here's, 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 here's another couple verses. Romans 8, 1. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Amen. Because through Christ Jesus, the law of the spirit of life has set me free from the law of sin and death. And folks, it's crucial that we see ourselves as prisoners, as slaves of Jesus Christ. This is not just Paul using rhetorical language in each one of these chapters. He's trying to get it through to those Ephesians that you need to be a slave like I am. You need to be a prisoner of Jesus Christ like I am. And I want to convey that to you, that we need to be like prisoners to Jesus Christ. We need to do what he wants us to do. He's the master. We're the servant. Now, let's look at some other key verses in this third chapter of Ephesians. Um, verse 2 speaks of administration. 
Verse 3 spoke of mystery. Verse 7 has this phrase, a servant of the gospel. And beginning with that second and third verse, Paul says that God gave him the administration. God gave Paul the administration of God's grace and the mercy of Christ. And the word that Paul uses here for administration can also be translated as stewardship, if you want to know what it means. And so God had made him to be a steward of God's grace. Now, sadly, the concept of stewardship, I don't think 21st century Christians or people in general really understand it. I, we really struggle to grasp the idea of stewardship today. And it's because we have been steeped in the idea of ownership. We really do believe. Sadly, we really do believe that we own the things that are in our possession. And that, in reality, is a faulty concept. It, it runs contrary to Scripture. The Word of God makes it clear that you and I do not own a thing. That car that's out in the parking lot, that is, it's really not true. Actually, for some of you, it belongs to GMAC financing. But it's, it's not yours. Even when you pay it off, it's still not yours. You know, the house you live in, I'm, I'm sorry. None of, that, none of that is yours. Job, Job admitted, he said it this way. We brought nothing into this world and we can take nothing out. And you know, I mean, folks, I've been, I've been a pastor now for a long time. <laughs> I can't remember. Done a lot of funerals. And never at the committal has the hearse pulled up with a trailer, a U-Haul trailer behind it. You're not taking any of it with you. It all gets left behind. You don't own a thing. That's proof right there. Amen? It's proof right there. So consider this concept of stewardship. Okay, now usually we preach a stewardship series in January, right? Your tithe, your talent, your, your time, you know, and all that. But just in general, we are to be stewards of everything. And what's neat is in this third chapter, Paul urges us to be stewards. Listen to this. Not of your car, not of your house, not of your talent, time. He, he wants us to be stewards of the good news of Jesus Christ. He wants us to be stewards of the, of the gospel. That's incredible. That's incredible. The gospel, the mystery of Christ, it's not ours. Even though it saved us, even though the Holy Spirit resides within us, the Spirit of Christ lives inside of us, it's still not ours to keep to ourselves. If we are good stewards of the gospel, we are going to share it with others. Amen? You get it? And as we share it with others, the church will grow in size and influence. And notice verse 10 with me again. This is truly an incredible verse. And I think sometimes we underestimate the purpose and influence of the church. I, sometimes, I think sometimes we forget why we're here and what our task is, why we're in this world. But look at verse 10 and 11 again. Ephesians 3, verse 10 and 11. His intent was that now through the church, through us, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms according to his eternal purpose, which he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. You know, I mentioned this two weeks ago in, in that message. I, meant to, I want to repeat it again today, but it lines up with these two verses. Every time that someone comes to Christ, every time that you may lead someone in a sinner's prayer and they accept Christ as their Savior, that is a reminder to Satan that he's already defeated. He's defeated, guys. He's not yet destroyed. The Bible tells us that that's yet to come. He's, not yet, he's defeated, but he's not destroyed. So he messes with us. He holds those who don't know Christ. He holds them captive. There's a whole world out there. There's a whole nation of ours that, is, that, is, that needs the gospel. And they're in captivity to the enemy, to the lies of the enemy, the deception of the enemy. We do not exist for ourselves. Today's about purpose. The whole, the whole book of Ephesians is about purpose. But today is, is the purpose for the church. We do not exist for ourselves. The church does not exist for itself. And I say that because if there's any weakness in the body of Christ today, it is because I believe we have slipped away from our primary purpose. 
You see, Matthew 29, 18 tells us that we are to make disciples of all nations. The early church in the book of Acts was given a charge to wait in Jerusalem until they received empowerment by the arrival of the Holy Spirit. And when the Holy Spirit came upon them, then they would be witnesses. In other words, they become stewards of this mystery. They become administrators of this mystery that Paul's talking about in Ephesians 3. And they'd share the gospel. They'd be witnesses for Christ. We have a divine purpose in this world. Jesus in Matthew 13 said that we're to be salt. We're to be light in this dark and decaying world. We're to be a testimony to the greatness and the goodness of Almighty God. You understand, He is so powerful, He could crush all mankind at one instance. But that's not His desire. His desire is that all would come to repentance. His desire is that every man, woman, child born on this earth would live with Him forever in heaven. That's His desire. He has the ability to wipe us all out. Of course, you, you know about Noah, right? And the, the great flood. Preserve just a few. Someday, the scriptures tell us in Peter, someday this world is going to be consumed by fire. First by water, then by fire. And until then, we're to be a testimony to the goodness and the greatness of Almighty God. We're to be an agency of spiritual growth for every believer. We're to be involved in the worship of God as well as the evangelization of the lost. And I read this not long ago, but it's a poll by the Barna Research Group Listen to this carefully. Barna Research does a lot of Christian church-related research. And what they found was that 80% of evangelicals, that's us included, 80% of evangelicals say that the primary purpose of the church is for their personal comfort and care. 80% of evangelicals say that the primary purpose of the church is for their personal comfort and care. We're supposed to, pastoral staff is just supposed to bless you every week, every Wednesday night, every Sunday, every need that you have. We're just supposed to take care of you. I don't know if you see this, but I do. The primary purpose of the church has never been to focus inwardly. From the very beginning, and we, we hinted this in Matthew 29, and you can look at Acts chapter 1 and Acts chapter 2 for the fulfillment of, from the very beginning, the church was to be a, a movement focused on outreach. It was to be God's instrument for impacting the world, even if only just one person at a time. And along with that, or maybe as a result of that, as we function properly as a church, Paul tells us, tells us here that God through his church, I love this, God through his church has chosen to display his manifold wisdom to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms. Have you ever wanted to just point your finger, just shove it in Satan's face? That's what happens when you bring someone to Christ. I'm telling you, finger to nose, Satan, get out of my face. Some might, some, some might debate what this means, which rulers and authorities are. He's talking about angels or demons. I'll tell you what, I believe he's talking about demons. I do believe that God's desire is to send a message to our world, men, women, and children, through us, and specifically to satanic authorities, that Jesus Christ is King of kings and Lord of lords. We need to tell the world that, and every time we do tell the world that, we're also reminding Satan of that truth. It gets proven every time that a person gets born again. Because when we pray with someone and they come to Christ, we have taken a captive. We've taken a captive of the enemy, a prisoner of Satan, and we've now urged them to become a prisoner of the Lord Jesus Christ. <laughs> I mean, guys, what could be more exciting? I'm telling you, I just, you know, I think about the U.S. Special Forces, you know, that, that they, these guys are trained to go into these extremely delicate, dangerous situations and rescue some hostages. I mean, that sounds so exciting, doesn't it? I mean, I'd love, I really would love to be on one of those teams. I don't know if I'd be any help. But can you imagine actually saving someone's life? 
Going into that, that developing nation, going into that, that horrible scene where these people are probably shackled and they're blindfolded and they've been held for months. I mean, you know, it does happen. It happens even today. And again, to, to be an elite force that goes in and rescues those captives. But get this, that's what we're called to do. Not for, not for a U.S. military agency, but for the king of the universe, the savior of our souls. We are called to rescue people from the clutches of Satan, from incredible darkness. They don't even know they're lost. And all I have to do is reflect on my own life. Guys, I, I knew I had problems before I became a Christian. I knew that, but I didn't know how to get out of it. I thought for sure over some time, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to find out how to. And I tried different things. Alcohol wasn't working, so I tried transcendental meditation until they started asking me for money. I tried other things and it didn't work. Nothing worked. And then somehow by the, by the grace of God, Jesus came into my life. And the moment I said amen at that sinner's prayer, I know something changed because the ne- I, didn't, I didn't realize it until the next morning when I woke up, but my addiction was gone. That's all. My life changed. All of a sudden I saw things like I'd never seen them before. Every time a person becomes a prisoner of Jesus Christ, they simultaneously are set free from bondage to the prince of this world. So, you know, I want to make this as practical as possible. Do not hesitate to tell people about the church you attend. Look for opportunities to tell people about Jesus. That's more important than what church you attend. But it's part of it. Look for those opportunities. I mean, as simple as it was, here I am. I mean, really, I'm just, I just want to get gas and go home. It's the end of the day. And I had this little chance. And, and who knows? You know, he has my email. I have his email. It may, go, it may go further down the road. You never know what encounter we might have. And even if you're the one who plants, I'm, maybe all I'll ever do is plant a seed. And that, that doctor of law may go home. And there might be someone there who's going to take that seed and water it. He may become curious. He may, he may, there may be an assembly of God church down the street from where he lives or works. Who knows? We, but what I love is the fact that we get, we get to show off the grace of God. And we get to remind Satan that he lost already. Two passages and I'll close. 2 Peter 3.3, 3. first of all, you must understand that in the last days, scoffers will come, scoffing and following their own evil desires. They will say, where is this coming? Second coming, he promised. Ever since our fathers died, everything goes on as it has since the beginning of creation. But they deliberately forget that long ago, by God's word, the heavens existed and the earth was formed out of water and by water. By these waters also, the world of that time was deluged and destroyed. By the same word, the present present heavens and earth are reserved for fire. As I already shared this with you. The same word, the present heavens and earth are reserved for fire, being kept for the day of judgment and destruction of ungodly men. But do not forget this one thing, dear friends. With the Lord, a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years are like a day. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. He's patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. You see, the reason we're still here, the reason we're right, we, you know, the reason we're here this morning is because there's still more harvesting to be done. There are still many more who need to come to repentance. That's why we're still hanging around here on this earth. I mean, eventually judgment's going to come. But until that time, we need to be about the Father's business. And then the other passage I want to read to you is out of Isaiah 61. Verse 1, it says, The Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is on me, because the Lord has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives, and release from darkness for the prisoners. We are His elite team. We are supposed to be setting people free. We're to be going into their world and grabbing them out of that darkness. And remember Jesus, He, he read those words in the synagogue at Nazareth. And he was describing his own ministry. 
But I would suggest to you that his ministry is our ministry. Or to be more in line with Ephesians chapter 3, we're stewards of that ministry. He's given us that ministry. The purpose of the church is to take God's anointing and to preach good news to the poor. To bind up the brokenhearted. To proclaim freedom for those who are captives and prisoners. And, and many of us, folks, we have loved ones who do not know Christ. We all know people who are struggling with hurt and need. And we know people who, are, who aren't yet saved. And they're under Satan's domination. And our purpose, our calling, is to set them free. And I want us to initiate that today. And, and just not, not, not in some great overt way. We're not going to leave here and hit the streets and begin to share Christ right now. But what I'd like us to do is just dedicate some time this morning to interceding for those who you know need Christ. Amen? That's, I mean, that's, that's where we need to start.